did you ever think you'd be doing this at your age? And he didn't rebut it. He didn't get angry with it. But he just said to me, he said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts here. As you know, I am the host of the Readily Random Podcast. And and usually I just jump right into things. But before we get started, I got to ask you a couple of questions. Do you know anybody that's worked with the likes of, I don't know, a little piano player by the name of Sir Elton John? Maybe uh, maybe Elon Musk or even uh, Sir Richard Branson? Well, I got to tell you, our guest today has done exactly that. He is oftentimes considered, and I chuckle a little bit because this is such a great name, the real-life Wizard of Oz. He's been dubbed that by both Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. He's also the author of, get this, I love the name of this book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And people ask me quite a bit. They go, Larry, how, how is it that you're, I get, you guys know, I get, I get in trouble a lot for being everywhere, especially in the podcasting space, in my limited little, little globe of influence there, right? They go, what are you doing, Larry? How, how are you everywhere? And it's just that. I just, I, I love the power of showing up and the power of building relationships and making things happen. That's why I love the title of this book. And instead of just going on and on and on about it, let's talk to the author himself, Steve Sims. Welcome to the Readily Random Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the buildup. <laughs> Hopefully you can live up to it. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to put, any, I don't want to put too much pressure. <laughs> we'll try. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so, Steve, man, what is going on today? It's so great to have you here. Honestly, what's going on in your world? Just uh, trying to disrupt and challenge myself and just uh, keep things active and interesting. You know, one of the things that, that really drew me to, to this opportunity to talk to you is you are so big on building relationships. And I, I think that's a key that so many times people overlook the power of relationships and they overlook the power of relationship building. How is it that you feel relationship building has influenced you over the years? So I came from East London where you would just walk into the grocery store during the week and pick up your bread and your milk and stuff and then just tell the guy at the uh, the till and uh, your mum would turn up on a Saturday afternoon and sell up with them. So I came from a world where your word was your bond. It was nothing, you know, fantastical or movie-esque or mafioso about it. You know, if you said, hey, I'll pay you Saturday, you got paid Saturday. You know, and if you if you promised someone you'd be there and you were one minute late, they had already left. It was just that kind of environment. But I think we've become very lax at it. And the trouble is the world is moving both into the world of artificial, artificial intelligence, AI, but that's also creating a transactional world. You know, you, you say, you know, Alexa, turn the radio on. Siri, do this. Amazon, send me toilet rolls. You're becoming very <laughs> commanding. And it's just being being sent. You don't have a relationship with Amazon. It does what you tell it to do. But I believe today, as this world grows, the only thing that can really differentiate you from anywhere else is your ability to think, create, and disrupt. And in order to do that, you have to have a conversation, which means communication and relationships. And I've often, 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 as any entrepreneur on the planet, fallen on my ass and gone, crap, how do I get out of that? But I've been able to make a phone call and go, how did you get out of it? How do I get up from that? How do I raise some money on this? How do I get myself out of this debt? How do I save this? 
And I've been able to go out and ask those questions because I focused originally on the relationships. So I believe without relationships, you don't have a business, you have a transaction, and Amazon's just about to put you out of business. You've done so much over the years, and you've been in so many different uh, niches per se. How did you get started down the relationship building path and what took place that, that went, oh, this is really the secret of success? So I, so I know I giggle about it because I was a 15 year old kid kicked out of school straight onto a building site. You know, my dad worked on a building site. Therefore, that's where I was going to be. And this was my future. My dad was on it. My uncle was on it. My two cousins and my granddad at the age of 80. And I remember going up to him in the, in, the, in, the, in the tea hut and saying to him, did you ever think you'd be doing this at your age? And I'm like 16 years old. He's about a seven-foot Irish guy, and he's 80 years old. And so that was a very disrespectful thing to say. But I just remember him being a mammoth of a man. And he didn't, he didn't rebut it. He didn't get angry with it. But he just said to me, he said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. And I knew I didn't want to be a poor British biker because that's what I was. I knew what it was like, and it wasn't that much fun. So I wanted to be able to hang around with rich people. So I tried getting jobs that would get me around rich people because I wanted to ask rich people, why are you rich and I'm not? You know, I'll work 27 hours in a day, but why are you rich and I'm not? You know, I need to ask that question. Along the way, loads of jobs, loads of failures. I ended up losing all my jobs and I ended up getting a job as a doorman in a nightclub where your, your business activity is to go in, slap someone and throw them out the club. That was my job <laughs> description, you know? And I just thought to myself, my God, I wanted to be better than this. And here I am. Now, the funny thing is entrepreneurs, we look at things differently. You know, we look at where, where are the diamonds? Where's the gold in this situation? Being on the door of that nightclub, I got to see how broke people interacted with each other, how rich people interacted with each other. Girls going out, celebrating a relationship, a new contract. Guys going out, celebrating a new contract or a high school meetup. I suddenly from that, what I thought low point of my life, I got to see how humanity interacted and they do it differently. You know, when people haven't got any money, they're a little bit more guarded. There's a bit more of a swagger, a little bit more of a kind of like, don't mess with me kind of thing. When you've got money, there's a lot more relaxation, you know? And I started to know, I wanted to find a way to be able to have conversations with those richer people. So as the doorman of the nightclub, I knew where all the clubs were. I knew where all the nightlife was. So I would literally have a couple of rich guys come to the door that I'd seen before and I'd be like, hey, John, not tonight. Why don't you walk up the road? Because there's a party going on in there. Tell Johnny Sims sent you. You know, you have a good... And I would send people away, much to the annoyance of the door, door <laughs> owner, um, to go to those parties, knowing that they would come back to me because they would trust me as now their resource for the best parties. I went from sending people to other people's clubs to throwing my own parties in the back rooms of clubs to taking over mansions, yachts, uh, and ended up working with everyone from the Kentucky Derby, the Grammys, the New York Fashion Week, Sorrell and John's Oscar party. So my goal was to not only get people to talk to me by sending them to places that they would enjoy, 
but starting to capture them into my world and try to get a room. And I would only invite really, really rich people. And if there was an advert or, or an article in the newspaper about so-and-so sells his company, I would invite that person and his five friends to my party. Because guess what? Rich people, nine times out of ten, no rich people. But um, Steve, I got to interrupt you because I'm I'm sitting here slightly offended. Uh, I've I, I haven't seen my invitation. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know where it's at. Did it get lost? Is it? Do I have the wrong address? That might be it. That that could be. That's it. it. That That's could it. be it. Okay, we'll touch base after the show. But go ahead, continue. <laughs> no, that was it. That, look, that I learned very early on that I was in a I was in a pub with a bunch of uh, broadcast bikers, because that's what I was, and we would literally just empty our pockets, throw the change in the middle of the, of the table, and that would be how many beers we could get to share with each other. And you'd end up with like two beers and then another one, and you'd like share it. That was my life. I realized you are the room you're in. So I wanted to change that dynamic. I wanted to change my location. And so I started getting into the rooms with rich people going, hey, oh, how long have you been doing that? And also, what made you give? I wanted to have those conversations without realizing it. I actually launched the world's first concierge firm because these people would say, oh, I want to go to Monaco. Do you know anyone in Monaco? And I'd be like, sure, I do. And I didn't, but I would wing it and I'd find a way. And as I grew by constantly giving them what they needed just so I could have that conversation, I launched my own business and I started making a lot of money. But even though I launched that concierge firm, the, the point was always that it was a Trojan horse to get me in the room with Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Jean-Paul DeJoria, Bill Gates, these people to ask them, so how do you look at it? Why are you different? How did you make it? And those guys didn't. And I noticed a lot of those things and that's why I did it. In a way, I can kind of see the correlation to the real life Wizard of Oz, but I, I got to dig into that a little bit deeper. That's my wife's favorite movie, and I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna say it's my wife's favorite movie because I'm never gonna say it's mine. But it, it, she she has some knickknacks from Wizard of Oz. She loves it. How how are you? Uh, how does that correlate to being a real life Wizard of Oz? So I hated that title at first because uh, well, he's I a asked fraud. That question. Moving on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's a Ford, isn't he? In the movie, he's a Ford. He is. So when I got asked, when I got called the real life Wizard of Oz by Forbes, I honestly thought to myself, shit, that's my business gone. But this is what happened. This is why I got that moniker. I, uh, I learned very early on, back to the transactional point, if I give a client what they want, then I've completed the transaction. You know, I want a red cake. There's a red cake. Done. Okay. So what I decided very early on was to challenge the why. And I, that's in the book. But I would say to people, why do you want to do that? And so I had people come to me and they go, hey, I know you can get great tickets to a concert. And this is an exact example. I want to meet the rock band Journey. So I said, tomorrow, that's fantastic. You want to meet Journey? They're a great group. Why? He said, oh, I want to go backstage and shake their hand. I went, oh, that's great. I'm sure we can arrange that. But why would you want to go backstage, shake their hand, and have them forget who you are before they've even made it to that changing room? Is there something else that's pushing this dream? And he actually then went into telling me about how, you know, from a kid at college, he earned money by being the lead singer in a Journey cover band. 
And then all the way through his life, you know, I had money, I lost money, I was ill, I, I, I was well uh, fit, I was in a relationship, I was in a, out of a relationship, basically the zigzag of an entrepreneur's world. But every high point he would celebrate with journey tunes. Every low point to get him motivated, he would listen to journey tunes. So bottom line of it is journey was the theme tune, the soundtrack to his movie. So I said to him, well, surely the finale of that movie can't be you going, hello, selfie, piss off. There's got to be something more to it. So I actually spoke to the band Journey and told them the story, got them involved in the whole passion project, never discussed the price tag, discussed the purpose. Um, and I got them bought into the whole story and they accepted it and they brought him up on stage and he sang five tunes live on stage in concert in San Diego and is now registered as the shortest term lead singer of the rock band Journey. So I took what he wanted and basically gave him what he needed, lusted for and desired. And I then tried doing that with everyone. So people would ask me a question and I've got a story about it in a second if you want. Yeah. I had, I would listen to what someone says and then just being, you know, the prick that I am, I would confront them as to how committed they were to getting it done. And then what I would do is I would refuse to give them what they asked for and give them what I could make happen. Once I realized that people were coming to me and then they were going, Oh, I, I like Richard Branson do something. And they would look at me to add all the ingenuity and the creativity to it. So that's where the real life Wizard of Oz part came from it, because I would literally take what you wanted, challenge you as to why, and then give you what you really needed and dreamed about. And as I always used to say, I gave billionaires really interesting cocktail stories. And I would sit there at the bar, and I've done this all around the world, my client is waxing on about what he got up to and who he was with and how he did this and how they closed this for him. And then eventually you'd see the people that he's talking to, they would just turn around because he'd go, and that's the guy that did it. And then the next 10 minutes, I'm just stood there with my old fashioned while people are going, hey, hey, c- can you help me with this? And I'll be like, give me your phone number. I'll give you a call tomorrow. And then you just sit there and watch the referrals coming in. So that's how it worked. That, that's amazing. And the, pow- the power of why... Man, I, I, this was completely spontaneous, but I use the power of why all of the time in, in my own limited scope because, I mean, I help people launch podcasts. And, of course, they want that number one podcast. They want to be up there with, of course, what's the name? Joe Rogan. They want to be the next Joe Rogan. They want to have the top 10 podcast and three episodes in the top 10. But my point is I end up asking them, but why? What What's that going to do for you? What fulfillment will that provide? What's really behind that? Why do you want to do that? Do, do you have delusions of grandeur? Do you think you're going to be the next, oh, well, Joe Rogan? Do you think you're going to sell out stadiums and stand before people and tell jokes? What are you, what are you going to do? What is your why? So for you to sit there and say what you just said, simply, and I love it, and it was, again, unintentional, totally validates the approach I take with my clients when they're launching a new podcast. What is your Why? Why do you want to do it? What are you really looking for? What is the source of that? Now, I want to follow that up with, um, I love Pink Floyd. Right. <laughs> so no. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, it's, it's so great because I ended up actually just recently 
interviewing Scott Page, who was a member of Pink Floyd for a while during the uh, the momentary lapse of reason era. And that was just so tremendous. But we won't get into all that, but it's in the back catalog for anybody new that's listening to the podcast. Go check out that episode. It's tremendous. But tell me about your book, man. What led you to write that book? What led you to just put it all, put pen to paper and lay it all out there for everybody? So a few things. And one of them was a joke. You see, the beautiful thing about when you focus on relationships and you are in the right rooms, magical things can happen. When you're in a room full of 200 decision makers that can actually do shit without asking somebody else, shit gets done. And sure. so I was, in a, I was in a party up in New York. Again, someone's telling a story, told this lady the story, pointed her over to me. She came over to me at a bar. She went, you do what? And I went, well, I did this with the Pope and I did this with Elon Musk. And she's like, I run, uh, I'm one of the, uh, the uh, directors for Simon Schuster, which I didn't know who Simon Schuster was. And she said, um, I want you to write a book on uh, all the rich and famous people around the planet that you've done these things for. And I said to her, well, I know a lot of famous people. I know a lot of rich people, far richer and unknown and bottom line of it is, if we wrote a book naming names, I'd be dead before my second old fashioned. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure I want to do that. And so we left it at that. And then apparently I'd done, a, I'd done a speech somewhere at an entrepreneurial event, and they had done some Googling and they had found this. Uh, and they said, look, hang on a minute. We want to know how a kid from the age of 15 leaving school onto a building site as a bouncer now has these people that he can text, you know? That's the interesting story. Would you do it? And I got kids. And if anyone ever gets an email from me, they know I can't spell for shit. So I thought to myself, it would really wind up my kids if I was an author, you know? Because they're always joking that I get my words fumbled and I make up words. It's a standing joke that I make up words. And I'm like, yeah, that's a real word. So the idea of me having a book from the largest publishing house in America, I just thought, yeah, that's funny. So I started doing this book with them, and they got this ghostwriter, and it became very, it was like therapy sessions. You know, I went through like four times a week that I would be interviewed over the space of, I think it was like about two, two and a half months, and we put this book together, and I suddenly realized while we were doing this book what I was doing was so simple and stupid, but everyone else was acting smart and ignoring it. You see, if someone starts a business, they turn around, they go, oh, and I need 30 grand for a website, I need 50 grand for a CRM, and then I need to get a click funnel campaign set up, and I need Facebook adverts. No, you don't. You need a client. You need one client and one solution. You need to show that you are the solution to that one client. And if it works, do it two more times. Now you have a scalable business. Focus on, first of all, do what you have, work for somebody else. And so we put this book together, and I really thought it's not going to go anywhere. And so I didn't have a website. And I'll tell you about your – I'm going to give you a video in a minute, which will make you giggle. I didn't put a website together. I didn't do any of that. And then on the 13th of October – Three years ago, they were going to release the book. And they sent me, and I could never understand that because they paid me very, very well to write this book. They sent me a check for two and a half grand. And I said, what's this for? 
And they said, we want you to open up uh, a table at Barnes & Noble this Saturday in Los Angeles and get some bottles of champagne and be there on a Saturday afternoon and sign books. Now, for anyone that's not fortunate to see this video of how you know, much I look like Hugh Grant or Brad Pitt, I'm not the guy that you are going to lead your child over to on a Saturday afternoon going, well, that guy looks interesting. I wonder what his book's about. So I was like, screw that. So I sent my check. I went down to a local bar that I go to on Hollywood, and it's a whiskey bar. And I said, look, I'm going to stick this behind the tab. You know, when we run out of the two and a half grand, kick me out. You good with that? We're going to do and And they said, because it's a book launch, there's got to be some pictures of the book. So I went, sure. So we shoved on the end of the bar in literally just this whiskey bar in Hollywood, a pile of books, and then I invited a bunch of my mates. Now, again, if you network properly, your mates are Lewis Howes, Jim Quick, you know, Greg Reed, Ari Mizell, they're good quality people who also happen to have some followers as well. So they all came along to my party. Lewis didn't, but they, the rest of them all came over to the party, and I just stuck the books at the corner as they came in, and we just got drunk. Now, there was a couple in there, uh, Sonia Hatter and Cole Hatter, who won one of the largest events in Vegas called Thrive, mm-hmm. and they were there, and they said, oh, you know, we want to get a little B-roll footage for when, you know, Cole's doing another one of his videos. Can we use this as a backdrop? I went, yeah, knock yourself out. So they had this little video guy, a uh, little video camera, the guy was little as well, but they had this camera <laughs> and he filmed the event. And what I didn't know, because Sonia is, is as evil as she is beautiful, the following day or following few days, she sent me this beautiful video of our launch party. Okay. Now, the reason I tell you it's funny is because we didn't have a website and the, the uh, publishing house said, you don't have a website for the book. You've got to, as terms of your a contract and the money we paid you, you got to have a website. So we quickly put up a website and at stevedsims.com, you can see this video. And when you play it, I didn't know they were interviewing my guests. So at the beginning, it's all kind of like, well, Steve, you know, it's, an, it's an honor to be here and, you know, doing your book. It's, it's you know, very proud of you. And it's all very respectful bullshit. <laughs> and then as the video goes on, everyone is getting completely shit-faced. And it's all kind of, I didn't know that fat bastard could even write a book. I don't need it. And so it gets really abusive. So if you don't like swear words, then don't watch the video. But I thought to myself, well, that was my book launch, so I'm going to post it up. So I actually posted my book launch video up on the website. And here's the funny thing. People saw it for its rawness. Yes. It wasn't pretty. And they went, Ah, and they saw the people that I was with and the book became a bestseller all over the planet. So I didn't think it was going to be any good, but um, wow, it took off quick and hard. Yeah, and one of the things that I hear there is that it, it took off quick and hard because it was so authentic. It was so raw. Yeah. You didn't go to the bookstore. You didn't go to, I, I forget the bookstore. We'll just call it Walden Books because I can't think of another bookstore yeah. off the top of my head. And you didn't sit down there at that, at that six-foot folding table and just sign books to little Jimmy. You went to your world, you invited your friends, and you presented your book in your world. 
and you yep. were 100% authentic. I just got asked last night in the clubhouse room, if you're not on clubhouse, get on clubhouse, Steve. You know you need to be yeah, there. I'm there. I'm there. Steve D. So, Sims, I'm well, there. I'll follow you here in a bit. But uh, I was just asked last night, they said, Larry, what, what are your top two mistakes of of podcasting? What was the biggest mistake you made? And, and one of them was I was never authentic. I saw all these other podcasters, and I saw all these other people that did it this way. I mean, and these guys, they're, they're publishing their numbers, their, their, their gross income reports on their website so you can see how much money they're making off podcasting. And I thought, man, if they're kicking that kinds of ass, I need to do the exact same thing they're doing to make that happen. And guess what? I fell flat on my face. It yeah. sucked. It was horrible. I was inauthentic. I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I was trying to paint a picture that my brush was not going to paint, and it definitely did not work out. So I love the fact that what you did there was you simply, once again, reinforce authenticity is the key to entrepreneurship and success. You're not going to be the next Elon Musk. You're not going to be the next Joe Rogan. You're not going to be the next Steve Sims. You're going to be the next you. Well said. So step well up said. and Absolutely. be you. Yep, no smack on. Thank you so very much for that and, and just reinforcing that. I, this, this entire podcast was made because of what you shared there. Help me understand if you can, because I'm kind of curious, the name of the book. Can you share that, or is that is that a top secret in the book? <laughs> no. Look, I've never overthought anything. Jay, Jay Abraham, a friend of mine, said to me that I have a greater I can than an IQ. And so I just go, oh, I'm going to do this, and I go and do it, and I fail, and I learn how it never worked, and then I go again. So when we started throwing these private parties, I noticed something, that if people walk through the front door with a smile – you get no trouble inside. So what we did was we started throwing these parties and setting up these really stupid, ridiculous passwords. And it would be things like, okay, to get into this party on Friday night, you've got to name two of the Teletubbies. Or you've got to, la- you've got to name Big Bird's mate from the uh, um, uh, Sesame Street, you know, which was Mr. Snuffleupagus. <laughs> or, so you would have these people coming up to you and going, Snuffleupagus, where we go, in you go. So it was just stupid, but one of the things that we came up with was finish this sentence from the famous Dr. Zeus, one fish, two fish, red fish. So people would walk up to us and they'd go, blue fish. We'd be like, in you go, and we would let them in. So we didn't realize it was anything, but then people started coming to us going, hey, you're that blue fish company, aren't you? And we didn't realize that it was because we was using this password because we ended up repeating a lot of the passwords. And we were like, uh, yeah, okay, what do you need? Well, I want to do a product launch. I work for Mercedes, or I want to go to a fashion week in Milan, or I want to meet you know, Sting and sing with him, or I want to hang out with Bocelli and Florence. So before we knew it, we were being told what the company was being called. Now, here's the funny thing, and it goes back to what you were saying. We thought it's a stupid name. So what did we do as hugely intelligent people? We changed it. And did anyone like it? No. So we were getting people coming up going, oh, is that that blue? And we were like, no, 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 no. The company is Trianon. And they'd be like, oh, we're looking for bluefish. And they would hang up on us. <laughs> and so after about a week, after about a month, uh, we actually did a name change and went back to bluefish. We didn't know there was even a bluefish. And there is. But we, ju- we took it from the Dr. Zeus poem and just decided... We're going to see what it can do. Now, our ethos about, okay, we're going to take what you want and then we're going to see what we can do with it. When we did that, 
it became an adjective and a mindset. And people were contacting us going, hey, I did a birthday party for little Jimmy last Thursday. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. But I decided to bluefish the shit out of it. And so I did this and then I had this. And so all of a sudden people were contacting me with how they were bluefishing things. Give you one example. We had a client of ours, and of course, checkbooks do help. But we had a client of ours contacting <laughs> us because he wanted to throw a dinner party for his future mother-in-law and father-in-law in Florence. And he said to me, I want you to make it the most amazing dining experience ever in Florence. Go do it. So I took over the Museum Academia de Galleria in Florence, which is the famous museum that houses Michelangelo's David, the world's most iconic statue. I shut an entire museum down from three o'clock in the afternoon till two o'clock in the morning, set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David. The client turns up at nine o'clock. We've got a string quartet and a piano all sat there. Halfway through that pasta, I said, do you mind? I've got a local singer that would like to come in and serenade you during your pasta. Is that okay? And they were like, certainly, Steve. I brought in Andrea Bocelli to serenade him during their dinner. So I basically wanted to see what I could do that was like way beyond a dinner in Florence. And that's how I've always lived. And so I wanted to give people, again, what they dreamed and desired for rather than what they asked for. Golly, that is amazing. So I got to ask you, when's the movie coming out? <laughs> I didn't believe anyone would believe the book. So, you know, <laughs> they're going to look at the movie and go, ah, that can't be right. So I, the, who not, who, I haven't put anything off. You know, up until three years ago, boastfully, I was probably the most connected person in the planet that you've never heard of. You know, my clients own things like countries. There's been countries that I have flown into where literally, I remember the first time I did it, the plane pulled up and the police came onto the plane, escorted me off into a black Mercedes to take me to the client. I didn't even go through the airport terminal. And then to come home, they, they did the exact same. So there were countries that I've been in that I don't even have a stamp on in my passport. That's the standard of people that I was dealing with. I didn't know the book would take off. I didn't know I'd be doing speakeasies. I didn't know I'd be doing coaching and speaking. I had no idea what this book was going to now throw me into. And I had one of those clients, funny enough, that's in the book, phoned me a few minutes before we went on to this, uh, this podcast. So it stunned me what my world does. So I've gone from giving billionaires really interesting cocktail stories to now getting entrepreneurs to go for what they deserve and what they can achieve rather than what they think or believe they can achieve. And there's a massive difference. I got to tell you, Steve, right now, I got to deliver some disappointing news after we get off this call because my business coach is now fired and I'm totally <laughs> signing up to your mastermind. So, man, I Gotta cannot wait. I cannot wait. No, tell us about your mastermind. How do, how do other entrepreneurs, how do they have this opportunity to learn from you and develop their own skill sets as well? There's three, well, there's four ways. And the fourth one is free of charge. Um, an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. That's my private Facebook group. I have conversations in their communication. That's the free one to get a sniff, find out if I, if I fit your, your, your style. Okay. And then I've got simsdistillery.com, which is my inner circle. And it's going to lead you into a private Facebook group. I bring two of my friends into those every month. I've had Jay Abraham. I've had Ken Craig and Jim Quick. 
You know, I bring experts in to answer your problems. And then there's the personal coaching, which is at the speakeasy at stevedsims.com. That's my coaching where not everyone's ready for it because I am going to get you uncomfortable. I am going to mix you up and I am going to push you out there to see what you can do to create more impact. But then I have events called speakeasies. I do three of those a year and they're all over America. So, you know, jump on to stevedsims.com and you can find out about my coaching, my Sims distillery. You can find out about everything, but be prepared. I'm not for everyone. We'll have a call. If it fits, we move. If it doesn't, no harm, no foul, but it really has got to fit. And you've really got to be prepared to get a bit uncomfortable. That's awesome. And I appreciate you summing everything up right there. Everybody can reach out to you and any of those platforms, reach out to you, make access and make that call and see if it is a good fit. And for me personally, man, I can't see that there's better fits out there. I'm sure, you know, not everybody has the same personality. I mean, I'm kind of dull. You can see my studio behind me. It's, it's It lacks color. My hat is boring. I got these stupid glasses. They're bo- I'm a boring kind of guy, so we may not work well together. But for those that would work well together, man, I cannot recommend Steve enough. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know you have a lot going on. So thank you so Appreciate very much it. for taking the time out and, and joining us today. Cheers. Take care. <laughs>